This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to Peter Baugh of The Athletic and Jesse Pierce covering the Minnesota Wilds. Um, I, I don't know if you saw it last night, Izzy, but great overtime moment between the Colorado Avalanche and Edmonton Oilers as Nazem Kadri pulls the ultimate move, ripping off Darnell Nurse's helmet so he's forced <laughs> to go to the bench. Got to get off the ice, big boy. Creating uh, an advantage on the ice for the Colorado Avalanche. Nazem Kadri, man, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I love it. <laughs> that's, that's that's not even uh, you know a chess and checkers kind of oh, thing. Oh, man, it's like such a Ric Flair kind of move. It's unbelievable. I love it. <laughs> It's, it's but great. it worked you know nathan mckinnon goes down the ice and he scores at the other end it was great like nathan mckinnon needs the help <laughs> i know right like yeah mckinnon really needs the help uh in in overtime when he's already the fastest guy on the ice well i mean against the oilers when they've got uh connor mcdavid maybe maybe not as much uh let's uh bring in our next guest uh from the athletic it is peter Bah, thanks for this, Peter. We were just talking about the uh, the incredible overtime uh, move by uh, Nazem Kadri last night, pulling the helmet off of Darnell Nurse. It was uh, it was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, you know there were a few uh, there were a few. Call- I, I think there were calls throughout the game that were missed. That obviously is one that I um, I honestly like. I missed the play when it happened live, but as soon as the, I checked Twitter, like after the press conferences, <laughs> I definitely saw a lot of angry Oilers fans about it um but yeah it's it happens honestly it's I think for the Oilers if you had told their coach that they'd get a point with Mike Smith in that you'd probably take it you know <laughs> against kind of, the Avs yeah it's kind of it's kind of life for uh for Edmonton right now with the way their goaltending's been uh so uh your thoughts on uh, the Avs deadline uh, I mean not, not that this team needed a ton of help but uh I like the move for Lekkonen uh, and, and some of the other things that uh, Joe Sackick was able to do. How do you feel uh, Joe Sackick was uh, able to improve what is uh, one of the Stanley Cup contenders? Yeah, so the way I looked at it, I, I really thought they needed a forward. That was a, the big thing I was writing about was their bottom six really needed a boost because obviously they have all these high-end players and a really good second line, but their bottom six needed a boost. And so when it got to 11.45, mountain time so i guess uh 10 45 year time about an hour before the deadline i was like all right something's got to happen what's what are they doing and then all of a sudden it comes in that they they traded for lackanen and you know they paid a lot for him second round pick and uh justin Barron, who's a really good defensive defenseman prospect um but i think that in this case it's worth it this is a win now window for them they'll have lackanen under contract after this year for how much we don't know he's a pending rfa and, um, yeah, they pretty much – Joe Sackick said, I'm, I wasn't going to trade Justin Barron unless it was for a player who we had control over. We weren't going to give him up for a rental. So, I think they identified their need. They made a run at Giroux. They got uh, locking in. And they also added some p- other pieces around the edges, like Josh Manson, who's a good defenseman, Nico Sturm, who is good in the face-off circle, which they've desperately needed, um, and uh, Cogliano. And all they gave up was Tyson Jones. He's a good, promising player, but probably wasn't playing the role in Colorado that he should be playing as a player. So it, it made sense from all sides. And overall, I think a pretty productive deadline. 
You wrote uh, about Andrew Kopp being a, a target, and he's a guy that ultimately goes to the Rangers. Uh, to your point about bulking up, the bottom six would have been an ideal fit. What do you, what do you think happened in, in those conversations, and, and why uh, the the Avs and Joe Sakic decided to go in a different direction? Yeah, well, Joe Sakic really didn't want to give up his first round pick in 2023. They don't have their 2022 pick. They traded that to get Darcy Kemper this past offseason. So I think that ultimately he didn't want to give up a first round pick. The Rangers were willing to give up. I believe it's a second, but it's conditional and can become a first. So I think that they, they just didn't want to pay that price and they figured, all right, well, we can get a player and lock it in who's pretty similar and, uh, and also has term after this year. And I think that was kind of their rationale. How, um, you know, this team is, is now looked at, you know, everybody's doing their, uh, who are the top contenders after uh, the NHL's trade deadline? And pretty much every list has, has the Avalanche as, as number one. Have they gotten used to being, uh, you know, the team in the Western Conference with the target on their back? You know, the weight of of being the expected champion in the West? Is that is that going to be a part of the conversation for the rest of the year? Well, I mean, I think that I think they have high expectations for themselves. I think they've they've gone in and they know the talent on the roster and what they're capable of. And so I think that that's kind of they whether or not they're aware of the external expectations, which they certainly are, because we're all human. We all know what's going on around us. They they believe it themselves. And I think they did last year, too. And they just it didn't work out. But I think that yeah, this is definitely a team that sees itself as having a chance to contend and win a championship this year. When you look at pretty much every indicator, they're they're right there as as the top contender, but the top players and and uh, quality play at all positions, they've got the depth, they've got, you know, the the numbers, this is certainly no fluke, but when when you look at this team, whether it's the roster or maybe some playoff matchups, whatever it may be, what where do you think like what's what's the Achilles potential Achilles heel for this team heading into the playoffs? Yeah, I'm still I still think that I I don't necessarily I'm not calling this a weakness because it's just that I haven't seen it yet with the new addition. I think that bottom six production in the playoffs is really important. I think if if you run up against a team that has a really good shutdown line that stops McKinnon, Landis Guy, uh, Landis Guy, McKinnon, Rantanen, and then all of a sudden um, you need your other lines to score. I think that that is the one thing I think hurt them last year against Vegas, and I think it's something that this year also will be important. I mean, last year Vegas did a really good job against the McKinnon line after game two, and the Habs didn't really have a response. They bolstered their physicality on the back end. Um, I still think Samuel Girard gets a lot of heat around here for how he played in the – in the Vegas series and he, he certainly had a rough series, but I'm not willing to say that like he's not a capable playoff player based on three games when he's had success in past playoffs. So I think that it's not a team that has a lot of holes on paper. It's just for me about how the top six looks when it gets integrated and, and how all that goes and also staying healthy. You, that's always a pretty important thing come, come playoff. You know, I guess, uh, you know, w- with all the speculation around Giroux and, and uh, you know, after the Landeskog injury, there was some wonder that maybe the Avs would be in on, on something big. Uh, it, it seemed as though, you know, Joe Sackick just wasn't interested in, in moving off of, you know, one of those big young pieces, whether that be Alex Newhook or, 
um, you know, Bowen Byram or, or one of their other top end prospects. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got to give to get right. And the abs did not, my understanding was that they were, it was highly, highly unlikely that they were ever going to move a new hook or a Byram. And you look at Byram in particular, like right now, I think teams would probably want more for Byram than, uh, then maybe they should be just because of his, his health situation. And we don't know, uh, and not kind of uncertainty around that. And so why sell low on Byram, who you see as a core and part of your future? And then Newhook, obviously, is a really important player. And they kind of need him after this year with their whole second line being on expiring contracts. So beyond them, I mean, they did trade two of their – I mean, obviously, those are the two big prospects that they have. Uh, but they, they traded two of their next – the next tier of prospects and Justin Barron and Drew Hellison. But yes, they were highly resistant to moving those players, both because they think they can help them this year and because long-term they're part of the kind of the vision they have for this team. Uh, you've done a lot of great work around uh, Bowen, Bowen Byram um, and, and his situation with the injury, with the head injuries. Uh, where is he at right now uh, with his, with his recovery? Yeah. So he seems to be doing well. He's, um, He's been skating for a week, a few weeks now, I think. Um, he was in a red jersey. Yesterday was his first time in a, a red non-contact. I don't know what jersey color the Vancouver uses, but uh, red non-contact jersey for the abs. Uh, he, was, he was in that for about a week. He shed that um, yesterday, so he skated a couple days in a full-contact jersey. Um, the timeline is still up in the air. I don't think they've committed to when they're bringing him back. They're obviously – being careful and, and taking input from him on when he's ready and they're, they don't have any interest in rushing him back, obviously. So uh, I think it seems like they're hopeful that this is a player who uh, can help them down the stretch of the season and into the playoffs. And obviously watching early in the season, this is a dynamic, dynamic player who is certainly a top-level caliber NHL defenseman. He was awesome early in the year, and if he's back, that's a huge, huge boost for Colorado. Yeah, Byram uh, McCarr pairing could be uh, frightening, uh, even in the little bit that we have seen it. If we get to see it more, it uh, would be a treat. Uh, thanks for this, Peter. Really appreciate your time. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. There is uh, Peter Baugh of The Athletic covering the Colorado Avalanche. It, it's interesting uh, Joe Sackick wouldn't move off of one of those players. You know, they had the opportunity whether it was Giroux, mm-hmm. who preferred Florida. Evidently, yeah. Um, you know, but they could have went out and di- done something big. You know, they had the ammo to make the Canucks a huge offer for J.T. Miller. Right. I mean, I was saying that in, in the lead-up there. Can you yeah. imagine J.T. Miller on that team? Unbelievable, right? Uh, you could throw him on the wing there with, with Kadri and uh, then have oh, him man. fill. man, talk about a line that the <laughs> opponents would hate to play against. That would be uh, not a fun line to play. Kadri would rip out, rip off someone's helmet, and yeah. Miller's like, I want to get in on that yeah. too. <laughs> Miller, Miller would just be throwing his weight around. <laughs> F-bombs everywhere. But now uh, Colorado, you know, they they decide not to make that big splash, do some good work with with Lekkonen and Manson, but uh, they'll have the weight of expectation on their shoulders going into the playoffs. They've got the Canucks tomorrow night in a game. It's going to be very difficult for the Canucks to find a way to win, but uh, one they probably have to have 
in their desperation mode for the playoffs. Uh, after Wednesday night, the Canucks will head to Minnesota for a Thursday date with the Wild. Let's bring in Jesse Pierce covering the Wild for NHL.com. Thanks for this, Jesse. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. How are you? Uh, we are uh, doing really well. Thanks for this today. Um, how do you feel Bill Guerin uh, did with his team uh, in, at, at the trade deadline? I, you know, I think he knocked it out of the park, truly. He addressed all of the areas that Minnesota really needed to address in order to make uh, a, a deeper run in the playoffs, namely goaltending. Obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury, huge pickup for Minnesota. But I also kind of like the addition of Jacob Middleton. The defense has been struggling for the Wild. Um, and then you've got Nick Deloria, who uh, apparently can score, in addition to being a gritty, pain-in-the-butt type of player. So that was fun. And then Tyson Jost up the middle as well. So all in all, um, you know, I think he plugged in the right type of players that could really help this Minnesota Wild team in the next stages. As you said, Flurry, the the headliner there, he's a guy that uh, his reputation at this point precedes him. He's among the most popular players in the NHL, I think, uh, for for. for players to watch and for players certainly to have on their team. What's the sense that you're getting in, in terms of the excitement and the energy uh, from the wild group about pulling the trigger on a trade and, and bringing in Flurry? Right. I mean, I think everybody knows exactly what Flurry can bring, right? And I think the extra excitement is Minnesota has never really had a big named player. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov has certainly started to change and shift that, but on a national level, Minnesota doesn't get those big name guys. I mean, you could argue maybe Zach Parise, Ryan Suter back in the day, but Marc-Andre Fleury brings a whole new level with him, right? I mean, he, he knows how to win. He knows what it takes. He has that past relationship with Bill Guerin too, which I think helps. And he seems genuinely excited to be here. I know that was Bill Guerin's kind of one question heading into trade is he really did not want to mess up the chemistry with the guys in the locker room because a lot of that chemistry has led to their success thus far this season. But I think Mark andre Fleury is, uh, comes in, fits right in, and I think him and Cam Talbot are ready to, uh, to make a good shot at a, a solid tandem here. What makes this team uh, as strong as it is? You know, I mean, it, it's just – it's not as flashy maybe as, as the Colorado Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights. They don't have the same superstar names on, on paper. Kaprizov is what he is. But, you know, th- this team just seems to have a, a way about them, an identity that they just all buy into, Jesse. Am I right on that? I think that's spot on. I mean, their identity definitely had to shift, you know, with the buyouts of Parisian Suter and with stepping away from Miko Koivu and some of those pillars of this organization and franchise for so long, it gave way for some new voices to step up. You have Jared Spurgeon taking the leadership, uh, guys like Marcus Bellino and Matt Dumba, who are big hype men, um, you know, being very vocal leaders as well. And then just in general, I think everyone really – goes all out for one another. I mean, you have the depth on this team has really helped them tremendously too because when Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello and Ryan Hartman are having an off night on that first line, you can look at guys on the fourth line to to really step up or Kevin Fiala, Matt Boldy, that new chemistry that's been found with uh, Freddie Goodrow up the middle. So I think it's just a mix of them really getting along incredibly well. Um, Nick Deloria said it yesterday post game that, this is the tightest room that he really has ever seen. And he said he's, he's seen quite a few. So I think, you know, that's definitely a huge part of it. And then just the depth of the team and the way that other guys are able to step up and even exceed their own expectations. Ryan Hartman has come back down to earth maybe a little bit, but I mean, players like himself or even John Merrill and Dmitry Kulikov back on the defense have certainly helped elevate the play as well, um, which I think has been surprising. 
So after this uh, deadline, Jesse, where do you place the Wild among the contenders in the Western Conference? I mean, it's tough, right? Everybody kind of knows how the West loves to battle it out, especially particularly in the Central Division. Um, you know, naturally Colorado, I think nobody could argue there saying that they are your, your clear number one. Um, but you do have guys like St. Louis starting to kind of come and, and find find their way through. I could still see that I think Minnesota will stay a two or a three in the Central. So I think that will, you know, I think if they can continue to build on their latest three-game win streak and kind of hold things together, that should be no problem to, to lock that up as long as they can continue to uh, collect these two points down this tight stretch here. What can you say about Ryan Hartman and the season he's having? Yeah, it's been absolutely tremendous. I think it even surprised him. I mean, he was the, the goal leader for the longest time for Minnesota, um, but it just seems to really work there with him and Zuccarello and Kaprizov. Um, you know, like I had mentioned, he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit, but I think he has surprised himself so much that he's not going to be too bothered by being maybe a little snake bitten or not getting the bounces to go his way. He's been loving those empty net goals as of late, so that still keeps him in the goal column, but it really has. I mean, he brings so much more than just the ability to score and, and to finish right in front of the net, which is where he's been getting most of his, his goals this year, but he just has this grit and this physicality and, and this work ethic too that just really pairs well with the high-end skill set of Zuki and Kaprizov so love to see him and uh, he's got a very team-friendly contract as well very cheap if you will so it's uh, it's not all bad in the cap space department there either yeah it's uh, and it's needed right now for for Bill Guerin you know um, it, it was a shocking story when they when they made the move in the offseason with Parise and and Suter but just just how much uh, are, are the penalties uh, of those buyouts going to affect or did affect how Bill Guerin, you know, managed this team this year and, uh, you know, what he was able to do at this deadline? I mean, yeah, it, it, he knew that he had a small window with a little bit more space to play with this year. And I think that's why he was more aggressive in making some of the moves that he did, like getting your flurry, like getting Deloria. Yes, you know, you look at next year. Flurry would be, you know, just more of a rental right now. Can you re-sign him? What does that look like? And it's funny, we asked Bill Karen just that, and he joked with us, can you guys just let me have my moment? Can we think about next year? Next year, because I think it does. It's a, it's a scary situation because no matter how much success this team has, it cannot be the team going forward next year. You cannot keep Kevin Fiala most likely, or even maybe a Matt Dumba. And, and what do you do with Flurry? And, you know, how does that goaltending situation work with Cam Talbot having just one more year on his contract? So it's going to be tough and it's going to be a tough couple of years, but I think that's why Garen has been so adamant on keeping those high-end picks and on developing some of the prospects for the first time in, I think, forever. Minnesota actually has a very strong prospect pool, a lot of exciting players uh, you know, I'd mentioned Matt Boldy, but obviously Marco Rossi's down in Iowa, Kaylin Addison, Carson Lambos, guys like that who I think are going to make a big splash in the NHL once they get that shot. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, that's who Bill Guerin and the Wild are going to have to lean on with that Titan cap space. Jesse, uh, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for this. Hey, anytime, guys. Have a good one. Uh, Thanks, there, Jesse. There is Jesse Pierce uh, covering the Minnesota Wild at NHL.com. The Wild are unreal. I I don't I don't even know what to say. It's like I, I I get Kaprizov is a great player. I get Matt Zuccarello is a great player. But Ryan Hartman, the season he's having, as we joked about earlier, Freddie Goudreau, Frederick Goudreau is their second line center. <laughs> 
right now, and he's playing between Kevin Fiala and Matthew Boldy. I, look, you know, you, you relate it to the Canucks. These are the kind of hits that the Canucks haven't really had. Mm. You know, they've they've found some bottom six players. Tyler Mott's worked out. Luke Shen has worked out better than anybody would have thought when they signed him back in the, in the summer. But the Canucks haven't had any of these short change bets that have really hit big. And you see that as almost a theme of almost every contender in the Western Conference, is he? You have to fill on those margins, right? It's it's so crucial with the cap. Yeah. It's 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 the mark of, of the best teams. They they're gonna have guys. Yes, you need the superstars, the ones that are really gonna put up the points and lead to the victories, but for those guys to be in position to do that, you need at least, you know, two, three at minimum players providing value lower in the lineup that are not taking up a big chunk of the cap. I mean, you, you know this yeah. just as well as I do, Dan. Uh, we spent a lot of time the last few years talking about the Canucks bottom six and how mm. expensive it was. That was the furthest thing from a winning combination. The teams that are the teams that are pushing. Look at Florida, right? We've spent so much time talking about f- the players that Florida has brought in in the middle of the lineup, right? Guys signing for a million dollars that are all of a sudden 40, 50 point guys. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's huge. Uh, and the, the assets that are, that are being paid for that, right? Like that's, that, that is the mark of, of what, uh, what separates the, the contenders from the pretenders at this point. Yeah. Now that, now that I think about it, I guess JT Miller would be that guy for the Canucks, um, who's hit in a big way, but, uh, Obviously, there's uh, not been enough around JT Miller this year to get this team into a more solidified position. Uh, coming up, we're going to get into uh, our top three contenders in each conference, what they look like after and post-deadline, but also uh, the Evgeny Dadanov situation. I'm just like, I can't believe somebody had Anaheim on their no-trade list. So let's think up what the list for most guys actually looks like. What would your 10-team no-trade list look like? It. Let's say you are in Vancouver. You have a 10-team no-trade list. Who's on your list? Which teams, which cities would be on your list to not get traded to? What goes into that? We'll kind of have some fun with it next on Canuck Central. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Yes, this is uh, Canucks Central Canucks. Uh, we'll get to, to Colorado. Travis Dermott and Brad Richardson will be, uh, well, it's not technically Brad Richardson's debut as a Vancouver Canuck, but he is returning as a Vancouver Canuck. One of Izzy's all fi- all-time favorite Canucks, by the way. And he's back. Be rich? Yeah. You know what I think of when uh, I, I think of Brad Richardson? You is, have a thought. I do. Think of Brad Richardson. And it's not the four-goal game against the Canucks. No, it's uh, the Sedin's final game. Okay. He was on the Coyotes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then uh, they the, the Coyotes came out and they shook hands, right, with the Sedin's. Mm-hmm. 
and a lot of the guys, you know, is just, hey, congrats, all that. Yeah, yeah. OEL got a big you know, hug and, and some whispers. And yep. then Brad Richardson did too. And I remember at the time going, why is Brad Richardson getting so much love from the Sedins? And then, you know, two seconds later, oh, yeah, he, he played here. And he's, by all accounts, a guy that's beloved in the room and stuff like that. So the Sedins uh, put him up on the same pedestal in that last game with uh, Oliver Ekman Larson, one of their countrymen. <laughs> Brad Richardson, in like, he was there for the Sedins' final home game uh, against the Coyotes and got a little love from Daniel and Henrik after the game. So that, that's what I think of uh, when I think of Brad Richardson. So this is actually a good segue for uh, the Evgeny Dadanov conversation. Um, but Brad Richardson has had a great career of where did he play? You know, like, hey, kid out of Belleville, Ontario, is playing for the Colorado Avalanche, the L.A. Kings, Vancouver Canucks, Arizona Coyotes, Nashville Predators, and uh, is now closing out in Calgary and uh, Vancouver. We'll see if uh, he has more left in the tank beyond uh, his age 37 season. But not a bad you know, career, not a bad run of like where you got to play as an NHL pro. Right, you get to go to Hollywood, play in Scottsdale, the sunshine in the desert. Um, I just, you know, I I imagine for a lot of players, playing in uh, those cities is a want, as much as it is, uh, you know, a dislike for a lot of players to play in Canada. So when Evgeny Dadanov's situation came up yesterday, and there's all this discourse of is he going to go? What is happening? Is Anaheim on his no trade list? Yes, it is. Was it submitted properly? All these different things. As all that's happening, is he? My only question was: There's a player who's got Anaheim on their no trade list. <laughs> Not only that, reach a player who signed in Ottawa <laughs> has Anaheim on his no trade list. Like of all the places, man, uh, Evgeny Dadanov goes from Florida to Ottawa, signs as an unrestricted free agent with the Ottawa yep. Senators. And they paid him. Yeah. It wasn't a long, long deal, but they gave Three him, years, five million They gave per. him money. Uh, coming off of a mm, up and down year with Florida yep. the year before. Then he gets traded to Vegas, but does have a no-trade list. Has a 10-team no-trade list. And apparently on this list, one of the teams is the Anaheim Ducks. Like I I can't for the life of me figure out the reasons to not want to play in Anaheim. And and hey, people will probably be like uh and I know I got this in my Twitter mentions today, but oh, he just he wants to play in the playoffs. There's also in the text box taxes, yeah. which comes up a lot. I mean, I'm more inclined to believe that than the playoff thing. Not to say that like Dadanov doesn't want to like win a cup or anything. I'm sure he does, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm a skeptic. I'll, I'll say that much. He he played on bad Florida teams, right? But then he signed with Ottawa, which nobody. Well, the was rebuild expecting. was over at that time. Pierre Dorian, he says yes. it's it's, and now they have the final piece, Travis Hamonic. <laughs> yes, the final piece. Wonder what he. Do you think he would have gone back to Ottawa? Would he rather have been traded back to Ottawa than play in Anaheim? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, maybe not. Um, but 
when he got traded to Vegas, it was weird because it was like, why is Vegas trading for Evgeny Dadanov right now? They don't really need him, and they have all this cap trouble. Um, that's neither here nor there. But now Vegas needs cap space, and they move him on to Anaheim. And I'm just looking at this like he doesn't want to go to Anaheim. I feel like for a lot of kids growing up in Canada, you know, me coming up in the media business uh, or wanting to be in media when I was a young chap all those many years ago, um, I wanted to go to, I explored going to school in the U.S. You know, Syracuse had a great, uh, has a great journalism program and all these different things. So I looked into it and was like, ah, you're not doing that. It's going to be too much money. Um, But in any case, you know, you, you looked into it. You, there was a want by me to move south of the border. You you wanted to work for ESPN or one of the major networks down south as a career goal, potentially. I can only imagine for so many Canadian hockey kids, their dream isn't always necessarily to play for their hometown team. It's, I'm going to be a pro and I might go get to play in one of these great American cities and live the NHL lifestyle, not have to worry about fans and media and all this. But Anaheim... And you get to be a big deal. Like So I'm thinking, everything you're describing, think of Drew Doughty, who's just been able to hang out in L.A. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, He's Makes 11 million bucks a year. He lives in Southern California, and every time the Kings, so once a year, when the Kings go to Toronto, it's a huge deal. And he gets to do the, I'm a big deal, I'm Drew Doughty, I'm Team Canada, I make $11 million a year, give me all your cameras, get all the reporters over here, because he's a talker too. Yeah. He gets to do that once a year. Yep. And you know what? I'm sure that he gets his fill, (laughs) and then he gets to go back once the road trip's over to LA, where he's got a couple of beat reporters, maybe the team camera, Yep. and he's still Drew Doughty. And he's still Drew Doughty. And he doesn't, like, not bothered when he walks down the street or anything like that. So I guess, you know, Dadanov's got it pretty good in Vegas right now. So why would he have Anaheim on his no-trade list? Because he wants to stay in the playoffs. But the thing is, he put this no-trade list together while he was with the Ottawa Senators. Correct. (laughs) So I'm wondering, do you think he put playoff teams or... Teams he imagined were non-playoff teams, or if he like ranked teams by like taxes, <laughs> and they're like, I don't want to go there. This, taxes are too much. Like if I'm going to get traded away from this high tax area that I'm already in, that I signed in, uh, maybe I would uh, want or not want to go to California for. Well, whatever I'd love. There's usually a theme, right? So yeah. for some guys, it's strictly financial. It is. The tax places don't want to go there. For yep. some guys, as you were saying, Rich, it's Canada. <laughs> don't yep. don't want to play there. And that's Canadians and Amer- and Americans and players from Europe. And then often there's just some some geography. But yeah. here he accepted a trade to Vegas. Yeah, but doesn't want to go to Anaheim. So it's not like he was saying Claude Giroux, for example, had mm-hmm. a no trade clause or no move clause. Could 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 he was he was going to stay on the Flyers as long as yeah. he wanted to throughout uh, the rest of his contract, which was ending at the end of this season. Colorado, very in on him. By all accounts, did not want to go to the Western Conference because his family's going to be out east and Florida is a bit more of a manageable trip and all of that kind of stuff. And that's that's a short-term, yeah. you know, you're a rental for the playoffs kind of thing. But he, he, he says, like, you know, 
you and I have just been sitting here going, we just talked to Peter Bob. Yeah. Colorado team's absolutely loaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claude Giroux's a guy who's not won a Stanley Cup. Yep. Does he want to go there? Oh, you know, he's able to talk himself into Florida. It's a little bit closer it's to true. where his family is. You know, they're good, too. They're pretty good, too. Yep. But, you know, dad and I, <laughs> with the, just like, you know what? I'm okay with Vegas, but not Anaheim. But I willingly signed with the Ottawa Senators. Yes. This is such a weird dynamic, <laughs> man. Because he wants the playoffs, but also he signed in Canada, which is not uh, generally yeah. known as the tax place. No, it's not a tax haven here. Um, he left Florida, and I, uh, you know, I'm sure the Panthers were not yeah. lining up to give him five million dollars a year. But he left one of the tax havens to go to Ottawa, like I, I where all our tax money goes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, how many RSPs are you allowed to buy a year if uh, you're making a Canadian salary, paying your ca- taxes in Canada? Um, it, it, it's it's hilarious, man. Uh, Surrey Ryan saying uh, Dadanov hating the OC is pretty hilarious. Um, this is uh, so many uh, coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Tone saying maybe he's a Republican. <laughs> Uh, another one. I wouldn't want to go to Anaheim. Too hot, and the roads are too congested. Would hate to drive there every day. Pete submitting his no trade list. Winnipeg, Ottawa, New York Islanders, Carolina, New Jersey, Edmonton, Calgary, Minnesota, Seattle would be my nine team list. Uh, others coming in. Jeff in South Surrey, Arizona, Ottawa, Columbus, Winnipeg, Edmonton. Islanders and New Jersey, Buffalo, Chicago, Toronto, rationale, weather, owners, market, hate Leafs. <laughs> That's Jeff <laughs> in South Surrey. Uh, look, the most common uh, teams that are going to be on on no trade lists: Winnipeg, Cold. Yeah. Winnipeg, Ottawa, Edmonton, and probably even Calgary. Uh, for that matter. When we did our uh, anonymous player poll yeah, uh, at the at Athletic, the, athletic yeah. the most recent one, um, so pre-pandemic, Winnipeg was by far yes. the choice as, you know, you have one team, no trade. Edmonton and Ottawa weren't very far behind, but that, they were they were pretty in, entrenched in the top three, top five. And then there was there was some New Jersey and there was some New York Islanders. And that was when the Islanders were didn't really have a home arena. Yeah. You know, they were bouncing around from uh, where the Nets play to now they've got a building that from what I've heard is seems like a pretty, pretty nice place to play. But yep. those are factors that, that come into, into play. In fact, for the anonymous player poll, I, uh, a handful of years ago, I guess four years ago, I, I was the one in, in the Canucks room reporting that. And the players are, are generally really honest with that stuff. The, they'll, They'll, they know it's anonymous, so they know their name's not going to be attached to it, and they'll they'll talk about stuff like, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to play for the Islanders because they don't have a home arena. Like, yeah, that's something that they care about. Uh, I can imagine that's going to be a problem for Arizona coming up playing uh, in the in the college. Oh my goodness! Up. Right, uh, Mike and Tawasson saying uh, Winnipeg because that one night in Winnipeg would now lose <laughs> its specialness. <laughs> one night in Winnipeg at the Urals, I guess is. Uh, the uh, the 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 local joke here uh, with with Mike and Tawasson, but um, it's okay. So we, we know Winnipeg, we know Edmonton, we know Ottawa. Calgary's probably on a lot of lists too. Buffalo is on a lot of lists, so there's five. Yep. 
Detroit? Detroit, yes. Detroit is an issue. I wouldn't want to go to Detroit. I would say Columbus. I've been to Columbus. I've been to a Columbus crew game. I'm not proud of it. What's the uh, what's the, the the trophy between TFC and the Columbus Crew? The uh, Trillium Cup, because <laughs> yes. apparently uh, Columbus and and Toronto have the same flower of the city. Anyways. There you go. The more you know, yeah. I, I, this people, is what you learn when you cover a soccer certain, team. Uh, when Columbus was good, yes, just a couple of years ago, the before Bobrovsky and Panarin left, there were a lot of stories about how Columbus is an underrated place to play and all that stuff. And then it was just Panarin, Bobrovsky, peace. Yeah, see you, Florida, <laughs> New York. I ain't staying here. You can you can print as many articles as you want about how underrated Columbus is, and it's such a great place in the fall when the Buckeyes are playing. Yeah, it, the school system's great and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> not for those guys, apparently. No, uh, I would say Pittsburgh is on my list. Great sports town, but kind of kind of sleepy. Like Pittsburgh's not like other than sports. Like, what do you do in Steel Town, Pittsburgh? Nothing. Okay? Nothing. They've got a Heinz ketchup factory. That's it. So, you could throw Pittsburgh on the list for me. I know uh, you're not a St. Louis guy. Nope. St. Louis is on your list? Definitely. You're not You're not into Music City, Missouri? I'm, I'll pass. You know what? Uh, I'll go and uh, I'd enjoy a Cardinals game. Yep. I like that park, actually. Okay. You talk about uh, the area around sports like with pittsburgh uh, ask uh, ask beat writers uh who cover baseball or hockey uh, yeah they do not want to be stuck in st louis oh wow okay so st louis is on the list that puts us up to eight teams uh <laughs> this text vancouver should be definitely on the list have you seen canucks twitter uh we, we are uh, imagining this list as if we are from vancouver so can't throw Vancouver on the list because we're already playing here. Uh, would any of the California teams make your list? No. Are you so against the uh, the taxes in California that you wouldn't want to play for L.A., San Jose, or Anaheim? Definitely not. No, I'm 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 intrigued. The uh, you know what? It would depend on salary. No, nah, not necessarily. You're making enough money. You don't care about cost of living too much in one of those places. Look, yeah, the Bay Area, the San but, Jose, I mean, you're gonna it's, right. It's not cheap. Cost of living is a is a thing, even for NHLers making a bleep ton of money, right? I mean, if you get traded to the Kings, you just ask Dowdy if he's got a guest room. <laughs> it's making eleven. But you're going to the Bay Area if you're making like league men. You yep. know, it's a it's a pretty big chunk of your money Think coming out. Think about the guys of that uh, they they have their AHL teams there now too, right? Yeah, and they they're actually just building uh, an AHL focused arena San Jose for, Barracuda, for the Barracuda. Yeah. Uh, but those guys we had that conversation to a certain degree with uh, the Abbotsford Canucks and yeah those kind of factors whereas you look at Edmonton and uh, their their uh, AHL teams in Bakersfield yeah uh, the, the price of real estate in Vancouver <laughs> in the Bay Area is not comparable to the price of real estate in Bakersfield California uh, so w- we need one more team here uh, Toronto or Montreal we haven't put on the list a lot of tradition there. I mean, like, you know, I I probably would want to have Toronto or Montreal on the list, but that's uh because if I'm if I'm moving a place somewhere in the US, I'm I'm moving a place somewhere in the US. So I might do that, 
But for these purposes, I think it does come down to Carolina as a likely destination to maybe put on your list. Sure. And we're uh, seeing some of that in the text box here. And I do think Arizona is a big issue as well with the not having a practice rink. Not right. Having, it's kind of uh, like with uh, like the Miami Marlins in baseball yes. where it's like, hey, you get to live in Miami, but you have to play for the Marlins. Yeah. <laughs> like that's where the Coyotes are at. Unless you're college kids, right? There's a two two college kids who said they weren't going to sign with their teams. McBain and uh, McBain with Minnesota and Smith with uh, the Jets and yeah. they're like, "You know what? Trade trade me to the, the Coyote." Maybe cuz they know that they're going to play at Arizona State <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, let's just keep the good times rolling." Um <laughs> uh, th- these texts coming in. What about Colorado? Would you want to play at elevation for half a season? Um what kind of elevation are we talking about here? <laughs> is, there, is there a is there a drum here? Is there a little rim shot for that? Leave my lame dad jokes alone, even though I'm not a dad. That's yet. not the, you hear it. Uh, you kind of uh, once in a while with hockey, but it, it you certainly don't hear about it like you do with football with the elevation. That, yeah, like it's it's a a home field advantage. It's a factor. And with baseball, where it's more the, you know, the performance, the ball flying out of the park and stuff. Um, Though I do recall you hear that a little bit with um, basketball in Utah, where it's like, hey, like, and I guess you hear it it with basketball, too, in in Denver. But it's it's not something that I I remember hearing a ton about uh, when, like, the Canucks go, oh, the Canucks are going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. On Wednesday, the Canucks are going to be there. And when they lose 7-1... You, you might hear, oh, you know, that's the sixth goal was because of the elevation, yeah. but it's not something that, that you hear too often. It, it isn't. Uh, it, it may be uh, a bit of an advantage for the uh, the Colorado Avalanche, but um, you'll hear some guys talk about it, like players who've played there. Like, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. They can feel it. when you, Especially when you go in for one game and then you're out. But um, that might just be because they don't have the same diet as Nathan McKinnon. That's true. You know, he's he's not eating the uh, spaghetti carbonara. <laughs> you know, so. See if let let me say that, Reach. If that was a factor, yeah. If it was, I can't eat my carbonara <laughs> because of Nathan McKinnon. Colorado's on the no yeah. trade list. I'm sorry. I don't know. Chance to win a cup? Would I give up uh, carbonara for a year? I mean, uh, maybe. Oof. I might have to eat it away from from the rink. You know, that's just, tough. Sneak it. Uh, sneak That's it. a big ask. I'm a big fan <laughs> of carbonara. Oh, man. Carbonara is uh, next level, especially made properly without cream, of course, because if you make it with cream, you're a fugazi. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just got to be the eggs and the pecorino, you know? Oh, I'm salivating, man. <laughs> like a, 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 a really significant amount of pecorino cheese, you know? But don't tell. We won't tell Nate McKinnon. Uh, Winnipeg, I hear the sushi is awful. Uh, text coming from Dan Murphy. I really doubt it's Dan Murphy because I know Murph is in Toronto right now, the big smoke, and I know as much of a big fan he is of Canuck Central, I doubt him and Sat are listening. They're just tuned in. Yeah. Uh, Sitting at a cactus club, they ask if they can turn the the, the music off, put put us on. Crypto Cow says DC, and uh, another one, uh, Minnesota is a toilet. So... That's a pretty harsh description Great for Minnesota. Ball, though. I guess I guess some people could say that about Edmonton as yeah. well. I would love to be in Minnesota for a year. Cause like the whole time I'd just be look, 
I love the movie Fargo. I love the series Fargo. Part sure. of the fun. I love, in the, I love that movie too. Part of the fun in the movie is how hilarious the accent is. So, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, eh? <laughs> you watching the Gophers, eh? So, uh, what do you look like? Uh, really funny looking, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I- I'd probably like be a- end up at like uh, some like dive bars and for like the first six months and just chuckling at the bar while people are talking to each other. Like, uh, what do you look like? Oh, he was really funny looking, you know. As long as you don't end up like uh, oh yeah Buscemi. Yes. <laughs> as long as point. I don't end up in the wood chipper, yeah. yes, that would probably be uh, advantageous. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it is Canuck Central. So that conversation on uh, who would be on your no trade list. Uh, I don't think we fit uh, Minnesota on it. Uh, there was a lot of people asking when did. Evgeny Dadanov submit his uh, no trade list with Anaheim on it. It was, uh, as David Pinota told us, June thirtieth of twenty twenty one. So before the league year began for the upcoming season, right? And like a lot of Ottawa players, they sign contracts and then they get traded. <laughs> Not too long after. <laughs> I, I gotta say, this is this is a good text from Mike into Watson. I couldn't go to Columbus. I have sensitive eardrums, and that cannon would be just too much. <laughs> Speaking of that anonymous player pool, the Canucks had no just, way. The Canucks the... had just come back from Columbus. Okay, and talking to different guys, they are like all just like, I hate that cannon. <laughs> like that thing is the worst. So multiple players, guys who like yeah. they did not know, you know, like it came up like three, four different guys. They in the Canucks, it was top of mind. They had just come back from Columbus, uh, but that was like came up completely unrelated to one another. They're like, I hate that thing. It's brutal. Yeah, I. You know what? I I would have never thought that game ops would be a part of a player's potential decision for who goes on their no trade list. But uh, we learned that today. <laughs> The cannon in Columbus. The cannon. The players notice it. So yeah, that's. It's like what? I don't want to score a goal. I don't want to hear that damn cannon go off. <laughs> Can only imagine. Uh, all right, coming up, Brendan Bachelor. Uh, who's on his no trade list? Uh, we'll also talk Canucks with the uh, play-by-play voice of your Vancouver Canucks next on Canucks Central. It's uh, the final hour of Canuck Central. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us. If you missed uh, the previous hour of the show, we talked about what teams would be on your no-trade list. Got into talking about Minnesota, who's coming up on this road trip for uh, the Vancouver Canucks. A lot of people have thoughts on Minnesota, Izzy. <laughs> Uh, and the movie Fargo as well, uh, as we are being corrected. Not that there's much difference, but isn't Fargo in North Dakota? <laughs> it is. Yes. I've been there, actually. Yep. You've been to Fargo? I have. Why Why would you go to Fargo? Road trip. Actually driving to Why, because you love the movie? or No. Uh, just, uh, uh, you drove through Driving Fargo. down from Manitoba. Yeah. Uh, through, yeah, through Fargo. What's better, the movie or the series? I'm a movie guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
The movie's incredible. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, other uh, Gina with this text: Minnesota is Winnipeg South. Yep, it's uh, it's accurate. Um, let's bring in our next guest. He is the play-by-play man of your Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. It's Brendan Batchelor. Uh, Batch, who's on your no-trade list? Three teams. Give me. Give me three teams. Uh, well, okay. So if I'm doing a no-trade list, I'm thinking I want to win. So I'm looking at teams that, that aren't looking Oh, you're such win. a hockey guy. Unbelievable. So you're putting the three teams that are tanking on your list? Yeah. Why would you want to go to a team that's tanking? <laughs> <laughs> right like I, i'm all about winning i'm a competitor you know i'll 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 live in des moines iowa if it means i can win a stanley cup i don't care i want to win so the offense that you would take with evgeny dadanov is not his no trade list but that he signed with the ottawa senators in the first place yeah why would you i mean if you have no other choice like either your options are do not be an nhl player or sign with a, a bottom team then obviously you're going to side with a bottom team because being an NHL player is better than the alternative. But um, but I can understand why he doesn't want to go to Anaheim if they're not going to make the playoffs this year and, and he wants to contend. So, uh, you know, other than that, lifestyle-wise, you know, Anaheim would never touch my no-trade list. I, that would be a great place to live. Um, but realistically, from the perspective of an NHL player, A, who wants to win, and B, you know, an NHL career isn't that long. Uh, if you're going to a team, chances are you're not spending more than four or five years there anyway. There are no places in the NHL that are awful to live, right? Like, they're all major cities. They're all metropolitan areas. They all have all the amenities that you would get in any major North American city. So there's nowhere in the NHL that I would hate to live. I just want to win. So... I mean, I guess we could have that debate about Winnipeg, but we don't have to do that right now. Uh, <laughs> so, Batch, uh, I kind of have a thought coming out of the trade deadline. You know, okay, obviously the, the team did itself no favors with the three losses to to end the homestand. But, you know, as far as being a seller, they didn't really go too far on that. And given the moves that they made – I'm not so so sure the Canucks are significantly worse today than they were before, you know, they started making their moves Sunday afternoon. There's an argument to be made that they're better, honestly. And I I know Tyler Maude is a a big loss to them, um, but they bring in Brad Richardson, who, albeit is a veteran, uh, hasn't played a lot this year. He's capable of playing center, so now you have Richardson and Lamico who can both play the middle on that line. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that Richardson's going to be an upgrade on Mott, uh, but there is more flexibility on that line. And then I expect Travis Dermott to be a better fit on the back end than Travis Hamannick was. So, uh, you know, if you look at the the roster anyway and, you know, take out the cap hit and the picks out of the conversation, I agree. I don't think they got a whole lot worse. Now, you know, whether that matters or not, uh, we can debate because with the situation they're in, uh, the playoffs are, are a distant hope for them at this point in the season either way. But, um, you know, that said, I agree. I, I don't expect the on-ice product to look a whole lot different tomorrow night when they face the Avalanche as opposed to how it looked a couple of nights ago. 
Reach and I both had a bit of a chuckle at, at Travis Dermott's expense in the sense that uh, for years we've been hearing about how he was the next top four D-man for the Maple Leafs, and uh, that certainly didn't happen. But I think we both think that he's going to get an opportunity here, and uh, the Canucks are in a position to let him play and, and, and let him show that, that maybe here he has uh, that kind of potential. What do you imagine Travis Dermott's opportunity with the Canucks looks like here uh, over the rest of the season? Well, certainly to play most games, if not every game, I would be surprised if he's a guy that catches a healthy scratch down the stretch. Now, you know, that that remains to be seen. But when you compare him to some of the other depth defensemen they have, uh, he's got more experience um, playing in the league in recent years than a guy like Kyle Burroughs or even Brad Hunt, who was a healthy scratch for large portions of this season up until recently when, you know, they, they underwent injury issues on the back end. And Bruce Boudreaux already talked about the fact today that even through one practice, he can tell that Travis Dermott is coming from a good team based on the way he practices. So, um, you know, small sample size and reading too much into one day of practice, I'm sure, uh, but that said, he's going to get a chance to prove that he can be one of the top six defensemen on this team next year. Um, you know, they have the flexibility to move him to the left or the right side. He skated on the left side with Hunt today, but because of his ability to play the right side, I almost wonder if at some point the rest of the way, he doesn't get a chance to play with Quinn Hughes. And, you know, as a mobile defenseman uh, that has the ability to skate, that might not be too bad of a fit. Now, again, I've said this about Luke Shen a lot, and it, you know, no offense to Luke Shen, and it applies to Travis Dermott as well. No offense to Travis Dermott, but you know, neither of those guys should be the answer to your top four right side second pairing problem. Um, but he's going to have a chance to play. He's going to have a chance to prove himself. He might get a chance to play out the lineup a little bit, and the organization will get a look at him and see if they think he can be a long-term fit on their third pairing beyond, you know, just the final 18 games of this season. Brendan Batchelor, our guest. Uh, how, how much longer is the uh, Pedersen Horvat experiment going to last? Because I'm not, I got to be honest, I'm not a fan. Yeah, it's, well, it, it kind of speaks to where they are with their lineup right now uh, that Boudreaux feels he needs to load up two lines. And then you have the, the Lamico line, which I guess we can't call the Motto line anymore because Mott's gone. But yep. the, the Lamico, Highmore, <laughs> Richardson line, we've got to come up with a new name for them now. Um, that line is your you know de facto third line, shutdown line. And then a fourth line that right now is spare parts. You know, Pod Colson has been struggling a little bit of late. Patan is a guy that, if you're fully healthy, isn't playing in the NHL. Chase on is chase on uh, people, you know, love him or hate him. You know, we all know what he is and that's not much more than a fourth line player at even strength and a, a power play specialist. So um, Boudreaux talked about the fact that he thought playing Pedersen on that line was spreading his lineup a little too thin and he was losing Pedersen in games. He said that to me uh, a couple games ago, I think it was in, in behind the bench on the pregame show that, uh, when he had Pedersen playing with, I think it was Patan and Chase on at that point, he felt he was losing him in the game because that was a line he wasn't going to play much. And he's going to play that Horvat line with Pedersen there. But I agree, I don't like the fit long term. I'd like to see Pedersen back in the middle at some point. Um, but right now, I think it speaks to the lack of offensive depth that they have, uh, particularly on the wings, that 
they're looking at playing Pedersen on the wing right now to make sure that that top six is where the offensive threat really is and that all those guys get their fair share of ice time. Couple teams coming up on the schedule here who uh, generally don't have those kind of lineup questions in, in Colorado <laughs> and Minnesota. Two teams that also uh, made some some decent moves uh, ahead of the deadline. Uh, after that, it's Dallas and St. Louis uh, to to carry out the road trip. But what what do you imagine is a, a reasonable expectation for the Canucks uh, across the next four games? It's hard to say. Um... This is a, a tough road trip. Uh, you know, I, I would say 500 would be a success, especially when you look at you know the Colorado Minnesota back to back. You're probably getting Mark Andre Fleury in his first game with the Wild in the second half of that. Uh, you know, Colorado. We saw what they did to the Canucks when they went into Ball Arena back earlier in the season. One of the most dismal efforts we've seen from the Canucks team in recent years. In that game, uh, and we know Yarrow Halak's going to play one of those two, so based on the way he's been playing of late, you know, that doesn't give you a ton of confidence. And then, you know, the Dallas Stars uh, are a team that's in the, the playoff chase as well. Uh, the St. Louis Blues are a very good club as well. So if you can come out of this four game road trip with two wins, uh, you know, I, I would consider that a success. Now, again, um, it's still not going to be enough for them to push back into the playoff picture because the margin of error is so slim now that uh, they really can't afford to lose any game at this point in the season. And, um, you know, the way I look at it, the, those playoff hopes are essentially dashed unless the Edmonton Oilers go on some horrendous losing streak and, you know, let you back into the conversation for third in the Pacific Division. But, uh, you know, if I'm the Canucks, I'm trying to block all of that out, trying to forget about the fact that, you know, you've, you've lost three in a row here and, and put yourself out of that conversation for the time being. Just take it one game at a time, see what you can do through the road trip, and then maybe see where you sit when you come back home next week. You know, there's uh, a bit of a theme that's kind of developed from uh, the new faces that have come into the organization, whether it's Boudreaux, uh, even Patrick Alvine has, has mentioned it. Uh, we've heard some of the players talk about it. Uh, you know, Luke Shen with his comments post-game after the uh, – the, the loss to the Buffalo Sabres, but practice habits and uh, things like that have, have often been a part of, of the conversation. And I feel bringing in Brad Richardson, another good veteran, good pro, I know we've been through this conversation a lot over the last number of years, Batch, but it feels like this new management group feels this is a need for this team right now. Absolutely. And no, just look at the way that Patrick Alvine spoke about Luke Shen yep. when he met with the media after the trade deadline. Now, you know, Alvine very clearly is a guy that keeps his cards close to his vest, doesn't want to give up a whole lot in terms of information, but you can parse through some of the things that he has talked about and has said. And the fact that he has pinpointed practice habits and consistency as areas that this team needs to improve, and then has also gone out of his way to praise a guy like Luke Shen, you know, you don't have to take a very big leap uh, to read into those comments and, and figure out what he thinks about uh, the group that he has here. And, you know, this is a concerning thing to me, what we've seen with the starts down the stretch, not just for the short term and trying to push for the playoffs this year, but for the long term. And, you know, I, I wonder what this management group really thinks, not just of this team, but of the core group. Because, 
you know, you can be a bad team in the NHL, and we know the Canucks, you know, are likely not going to be a playoff team. They've got all sorts of flaws in their roster. You know, there, there are plenty of teams that have those same situations in the National Hockey League. And, you know, you can be a team that lacks team speed, which the Canucks certainly are. And, you know, we've heard Boudreaux and Alvin talk about needing to get faster. But, you know, even if you're in a situation where you're not a fast team and you're not a particularly good team, the things you can control are your effort level and your preparation. And you're an NHL player. Those are things that should be a given. You should be ready to work hard every single game and you should be prepared to play every single game. And the fact that there are questions around those things with this Canucks group, to me, is concerning. It's quite concerning. And, um, you know, these are the same things that Alvin and Rutherford and Boudreaux will be seeing as well. You know, Bruce Boudreaux said the other night that he has never had a team in his long coaching career that has had this much of an issue with starts. And it does really make me wonder how wide sweeping the changes that we'll see in the summer will be because that's not uh, a cultural thing that you just fix overnight by tweaking around the edges of the roster Uh, that's a a core issue that you probably need to make serious changes and bring in new voices in your leadership group to correct Uh, you know maybe even bring in a new coach I know that you know Alvin was non-committal when you guys asked him about that yesterday on the show and it'll be very interesting to see how Bruce Boudreaux's future plays out at the end of this season. Now, let me be clear, I think he should come back. I think he's done a very good job. At the very least, he deserves to come into next season with this group after the run that he's gone on with them. Um, but when a team has this many underlying issues that are recurring and consistent and don't go away or aren't just a, a game here or there, but seem to be a, a regular problem, then you know, that's, that's a cancer that you have to cut out. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, that's exactly what Alvin and Rutherford are thinking heading into this offseason. As you well know, Batch, we spent the better part of the last month talking about those potential sweeping changes and uh, going through the deadline without seeing that. And now, as as you said, you know, the, the starts is something that's top of mind. Uh, the practice habits, some of the, the in-game lapses. Uh, seems like there are stakes for this team even beyond this, let's call it, marginal playoff push at this point. What else do you imagine is going to be top of mind for the management group when it comes to things like the slow starts and and all of these lapses uh, when it comes to their ultimate evaluation of of what needs to be done with this group? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the the final 18 games, well, you know, they may not end up mattering in terms of trying to make the playoffs this year are going to matter a whole lot because this is an ongoing evaluation. You know, Alvin and Rutherford have been in for a little while now. They've taken a look at this team. I'm sure they, they've, you know, built opinions about the players on their roster and who they think could be a part of the solution and a part of, you know, who can't be a part of the solution, who, who doesn't deserve to be here long term. So, you know, if I'm on that roster right now and my name is not Pedersen, Hughes, or Demko, I might be playing to stay with this organization the rest of the season, right? I, I, I think guys need to be aware of that, that 
you know, this is a new management group. This is a new regime. They're going to want to put their stamp on this organization. They've been very outspoken about the things they don't like with this group. And other than those three guys, I don't think anyone on that roster is safe, I mean, nor do I think anyone should be uh, as we head towards another year where the Canucks look like they're going to miss the postseason and, you know, underachieve based on the expectations that many people had of them coming into the season. So, um, you know, in terms of specifics of who they'll look to move in and or, or, or acquire and who they'll look to move out, um, you know, other than the names we've heard in trade rumors, you know, that would just be speculation on my part. Uh, but that said, they say they want to get younger. They say they want to get faster. They say they want to shed cap space. Um, and I expect them to try and do all three of those things in the off season. And, you know, uh, there's been a lot of chatter about people being disappointed that the management group wasn't more active at the trade deadline. I'm sure they're disappointed that they weren't able to get more, more work done uh, prior to the deadline as well, because, you know, they've got a lot of heavy lifting to do in the summer in terms of making some of these decisions, freeing up that cap space, trying to move players on while also trying to, find players they can bring in to improve the roster and, you know, get younger and faster like like they've talked about. But the thing that encourages me is that they didn't fell, feel forced or rushed or panicked into making any of those moves right now other than the one that they really had to make, which was the trade for Tyler Mott. So um, I, I thought, albeit a quiet deadline, a pretty prudent one in terms of uh, the decisions they made and – a, you know, it sets the table for what will be a very, very interesting offseason, maybe the most interesting summer we've had uh, following this Canucks team in quite a while. I think uh, these final games, probably Brock Besser has the most to prove of any player on this Canucks team, given the qualifying offer and, you know, how he hasn't really played all that well, especially lately, Batch. He's kind of disappeared again a little bit. Uh, he's had uh, some of the big misses in some games. I think you know these these next few are are huge for Brock. To I know he said how much he wants to stay in Vancouver. Well, prove it. Make make yourself a guy that they don't want to move or they can't think about moving. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, show that that you can have the the level of value that you know your potential contract might end up coming to. Now, you know, I I guess we'll see, you know, whether they end up, you know, going with the qualifying offer. Uh, If they do, whether he ends up accepting it, whether they reach an agreement on an extension before then, or whether they end up trading him to a team that, uh, you know, wants to sign him long term. But right now, based on the body of work to this point in the season, Brock Besser is not a $7.5 million player for me or 7.25, whatever the QO is. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he's not producing at that level. He's on pace for somewhere around 23 or 24 goals. His career high is 29, but you know, really since that rookie season where he probably would have scored 30 if he hadn't been hurt, he hasn't been close to, to that level of, of offensive producer. And if I'm paying north of seven million for someone, I want them to score, especially if their hallmark is that they are a goal scorer. And you know, there there are plenty of other players that you can find in the league to score your 20, 25 goals uh, on the wing, no less, that wouldn't command that level of money. And this is a team that really needs to be very careful with its, you know, cap allocation and, and management going forward. So uh, Besser, 
you know, presents himself uh, as a good candidate to remain with the organization, or at the very least, builds himself a good case in the event that it ends up going to some sort of arbitration, if he has a good, you know, a strong finish to the season, brings those numbers up, uh, is a big part of scoring some key goals for them down the stretch, whether they make the playoffs or not. Uh, you know, there's a variety of reasons for him to be really motivated uh, to have a, a good finish to the season. Not just if he wants to stay in Vancouver, because certainly, the, you know, the, the better he does, the more likely they are going to be to retain him. But, you know, also in terms of trying to earn the most money that he can on a contract, whether it's going to be in Vancouver or elsewhere. And, you know, if the Canucks don't see a long-term fit with Besser, then, you know, you, you need to have teams out there that want to acquire you as well. So, uh, you know, for Besser, for the Canucks, for everyone involved, uh, if he has a strong finish to the season, that would be the best-case scenario. Batch, we uh, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this today. Winnipeg's not that bad, by the way. I oh, bad man. Run. There it is. <laughs> I know. I heard they got an Earl's. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, I don't. Do they have an Earl's? I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been to the Winnipeg Earl's. They definitely have a Browns. I, I'm aware of that. Okay. Yes. Uh, the, the best part about staying in Winnipeg, by the way, when you're traveling with the team, which unfortunately we're not uh, at the moment, uh, is – from the hotel that you stay at with the team, you can walk the entire distance to the rink and back without going outside. Right. Ooh. Which, which uh, you know, is a huge bonus when you're there in the winter in Winnipeg. <laughs> but, you know, Winnipeg has a charm about it. I think it gets a bad rap. I, I Unless they're bad way. batch, because then if, they, yeah. if they're tanking, then they're on your no-trade list. Absolutely. But, you know, if they're a cup contender, I would go to Winnipeg. I don't <laughs> Uh, batch, just all about winning. Uh, it's good, good attitude to have. You're better than mine, that's for sure. Thanks for this, Batch. Yep, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Batch. There he is. Batch and Cristiano Ronaldo breach. They, they just, they're, they've got that, that winning mantra. Oh, get out of here, with this <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. How's Manchester United feeling about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo? Oh man, not, not, uh, not great. No, he's not my guy. Certainly not. Uh, this, uh, some you really... wish he had Juventus on some sort of no trade oh, list. I, I wish he did not. He never signed for Juventus. Uh, turned out exactly as I thought it would. Uh, Trucker James, my list would include Florida, Tampa, the Rangers, New York Islanders, New Jersey Devils, Dallas, Carolina, due to high hurricane activity, uh, LA, Anaheim, pollution and, uh, earthquakes is why he would stay away from LA and Anaheim. All right. Uh, Columbus amateur meteorologist in the text line for uh, tornadoes as well. And as a trucker, I've been to every NHL city can honestly say any of the Eastern or far South States are okay places to visit, but I would not want to live there. So that's from uh, trucker James. And another one came in uh, from James in Abbotsford. I, I just want one team on my no trade list, wherever, Lou Lamorello is, because he's a firm beard guy and can't be a beard guy. Right. I mean that that is a factor. Uh, Our 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 guy Josh Donaldson getting traded to the Yankees just what just experienced this, right? Yeah. So it's tough. Got it. Got to shave the beard. It's a Yankees thing and it's a Lou Lamorello thing. I think it's weird, man. Like just let people have a beard. Why? Why is it so hard? (laughs) I'm with you. Yeah. Like, if I want to have long hair, which I wouldn't, but if I did, just let me have the long hair. Let me have the flow going. 
you know? How would Brent Burns feel about that? Prime Yager. Yeah. Tell Can you imagine? That, you're telling me Lou Amarello would be like, with Prime nah. Yager? Yeah. Hey, I, you just want a couple cups, but uh, can you uh, chop a little bit? Shoulders length, at least? Yeah, the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 90s are trading uh, Yager to the New Jersey Devils. And Lou Lamorell is like, wait, he's not hes not going to cut his hair? I don't want him. <laughs> don't need him. Can't believe it. Anyways. I mean, Yager did end up in New Jersey, but... Was Lou gone by then? It was post-Lou. Yeah, Lou would have been in Toronto already. Yep. I think it was post-Lou. Man, Yager had I mean, quite yeah, the I mean, end of career, man. Lou was in Toronto in, by 2015, right? Yep. So. Um, all right. He he avoided that. He did. Uh, that's enough of uh, no trade lists. Uh, it's been uh, It's been great. Canuck Central here on Sportsnet 650. They've got Colorado and Minnesota tomorrow. We'll back. Sat will be back. We'll have uh, lots of pregame talks to get to as well with the games here on the station. This is Canuck Central.